0: Father in heaven, we're so thankful to thee that we can be in your house in this morning. Lord, thankful for the warmth of fellowship that we could experience already and being able to open your word and be taught of it. Lord, we pray that as we would do so in this day, that our minds and our hearts could be freed from the other distractions that would seek to to weigh on us. Lord, that we could be focused about the message that's needful for each of our hearts. Lord, we're we want to intercede on behalf of the Marcy's family on this, on this Sunday, Lord, mourning their passing, but rejoicing, Lord, that they can be at peace with Thee. And Father, even as just we recall the story of this week, we're, we're moved at the, the love that You showed to them and being able to make this such a, a peaceful and, and quick experience for them. And so, Lord, we just pray that their, their family could feel Thy nearness and Thy, <sighs> thy love in this day as well. Stay with us now, Father, as we open your Word, and for it, we'll thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter one, please. John chapter one, and rather than focusing on the front end of that chapter, as we probably normally would, um, I kind of led to the the end of the chapter and. and I'll give you a little reasoning as to why. Um, I got a call, I think it was Friday night. Um, As has been happening a lot more, I don't know, it used to be that your cell phone was protected and that nobody could get your cell phone number for like robocalls, but I've been getting a lot more robocalls lately. And one I got on Friday night um, was from a New York City phone number, which I have a client in New York City, so I'm prone to answer these calls when I normally wouldn't. Usually, if it doesn't say the number or it doesn't have a name, I figure I've got most of everybody that I'd like to talk to's name in my phone at this point, so I don't answer it. Well, this one was New York City, and I answered. Um, And it said, hi, Mr. Friund, or however they mispronounced my last name, and then I knew this was not going to be somebody I wanted to talk to. But then they said, would you have time for to answer some questions for a study. And I normally say no to these, but I don't know why I was in a mood and thought, sure, I'll answer some questions for a study. And so she said real quick who she was calling from, and I didn't gather it. And she jumped right into some questions, and they were mostly political questions. And I promise this is not going to be politics. I'm not even going to refer... Just hear me out. She said... um, Do you mind me asking who you voted for in the last election? I didn't really care. I told her. Uh, Do you mind me asking if you are, and then it's the scale of like one to five, right? Very likely, not so likely, sort of likely, or extremely likely to vote for, and then gives you the candidates to choose from. And I was honest. And then she asked me as to why, and then gave me the options as to why. And my options were, for example... Um, and I'm being excessive in the way I'm saying this, but are you more likely to vote for so-and-so because they're the devil or are you less likely to vote for them because they are the second coming? Like the opposite, the ends of the spectrum were so obnoxious and obvious that I'm thinking, like, I'm not a statistics guy. I did like my statistics class in college, um, but I'm re- I'm realizing that, like, the information that is being gathered from the comments I'm making is the biggest bunch of hullabaloo I've ever seen. And, I mean, it was so bad, I couldn't figure out where they were coming from. Like, I didn't know if this was a lefty-righty thing. Like, it was just so obviously bad. But the, the comment that got me the most was, I'm going to read you two statements. And... To which of these statements do you most closely associate? And then she read the statements, and then again, it was like a, you know, the devil is good and God is bad, or God is good and the devil is bad, like these completely opposite things. And I laughed and said, I, I can't even answer that. Like this isn't a question of like associating. I'm not associating myself with either one of these things. And I did have the presence of mind as she was finishing up. And I thanked her because I said, I know you didn't write these questions, but I thank you for going to the effort. I said, I just would hope that somebody could put together better questions next time. And I did ask where she was from. And I won't tell you, but it was another one of those like, the Committee on the Preservation of Intelligent People Living in an Air-Breathing Society or some just ridiculous thing. And I had to chuckle. And as I was... I hung up and I didn't even tell the family this because I, I went back in the house and I looked up this group and so on. But for the rest of the night and all day yesterday, I could not get this phrase out of my head of this, who? how do you most closely associate? Or what do you, with which phrase do you most closely associate? And it made me think of different things in Scripture. Like how do we, associations in Scripture. Like what came to mind was when, the Apostle Paul is writing, and when he talks about, you know, some of you say that you're after Paul, and some of you say that you're after Apollos, but we say that we're all after Christ. And how we associate ourselves. I mean, as kids, um, you couldn't help, and not even just as kids, but even growing up and as we got older, um, we kind of knew, and every kid does this, you, you kind of know where your parents associate. Politically, you, you kind of got an idea where they associated. And even in a church sense, there were times where you could say that you associated, either your parents were a little more liberal or your parents were a little more conservative. We all had labels. There were associations that we made. Not bad. It's just, how do you identify? Max made an identification this week. I picked him up from school on Friday. Or not from school. I picked him up from the bus on Friday and he came with me to uh, run an errand. And I asked him how his day was, and he said his day was great. And he you know, has new friends. That He, he was in preschool at um, Faith Heritage last year and made good friends. And he has one buddy that came from Faith Heritage with him and is, is in, in his class at school. But as we hear the kids talking and we hear, you know, you know who your kids' friends are because they're the ones that they talk about, right? And the one little boy that was talked about as coming from Faith Heritage is not talked about so much in his group of friends now. And I said, hey buddy, you know, what about, I won't use the little guy's name, but what about so-and-so? Why, do, you, do you spend much time with him? Well, yeah, he's kind of in the group, but there's these other boys that are clearly the alpha kindergarten males that are kind of taking the, taking the lead. And I'm not proposing that he's one of them, but I'm proposing that he likes to follow closely behind them. And we're just talking about school and and how you know who he hangs with, who he associates with, and out of the blue, out of the blue, he says, "You know, they don't really do the Bible at Walberta the way that they do the Bible at Faith Heritage." I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He says, "Well, they don't they don't they don't do the Bible in school like we did the Bible at Faith Heritage." I said, well, that's true. And then we had to have, I'm trying to have a kindergartner's talk on, you know, church and state. And I said, well, it's fine for you to talk about the Bible and encourage that maybe he could talk about his Bible stories with his buddy that came from Faith Heritage. And he said, "Oh, I don't think he knows him like I do. But it, it just struck me, this little identifier that this little guy was recognizing that there was something different about the environment that he's in now. And it's a good one, and I'm not upset with it. But that there was something different last year. There was something different last year. Um, I'd like us, and the reason I want to get to the second half of this passage, well, I'll give you the synopsis on the front. The second half of this passage is where the apostle, or excuse me, where John the Baptist is effectively turning over his disciples to Christ. That the association of a rabbi in their lives changes from John the Baptist to Christ and how that takes place and and the what that transition kind of looks like. But it it struck me in many ways about this this association or um or identification of of followers and, and how how that looked. And this was one example that I thought could be could be beneficial for us to look at this morning. Um, before we read the, the specific scriptures, I'll just give the synopsis on the front end of chapter 1. We we know very well the, the, the start of this chapter. The first five verses are the description of in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Um, explaining the, the preeminence of scripture and Christ being there at, at the center. We're introduced to John in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came from came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He wasn't the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And we continue, uh, verse 15, John bear witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He cameth after me and is preferred before me, for he was before me. Starting to talk about Christ. Uh, Verse 19, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? He confessed, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they said unto him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He answered, No. Then he said unto them, Who art thou? Then they said unto him, excuse me, and they would give an answer to him that sent us. Why sayest thou that? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet is, as said the prophet Isaiah." Again, John just declaring who he was and even referencing those verses that we've been reading over the last uh, few months in Isaiah. Um, Just skipping down, uh, I think we'll start at verse 29. The next day. Seeing Je- John, seeing Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which was preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made, man- should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, And abode upon him. And I knew him not, but sent but he sent me to be baptized with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he whom baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record of this is this uh, bear record that this is the Son of God. Sorry, I need new glasses, apparently. In verse 30, we're going to read from 35 to the end, but just that that last little point there, this experience that John's disciples must have made with him, this man that lived in the wilderness that was so unique, was so weird, there's no way to to describe it other than weird to the rest of the world, a man that had the boldness when the Pharisees and the leaders would come to him and say, Who are you? You know what I mean? You're not, are you the Christ? No, 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 I'm not the Christ. And then he, I'm not the Christ, but I'll pull open Holy Scripture and say, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. There was no way for them to separate the proclamation that he was making from that statement. By saying that, he was saying that the Messiah is coming. I'm not him, but I am this messenger that was called out in Scripture thousands of years ago, or hundreds of years ago, to acknowledge that the Messiah is coming and he's coming now. And just imagine what his disciples must have been like, what it must have been like to be near him. Um, This experience of somebody that's not that that is on the fringes of society that's living out in the wilderness that's not coming into the temple to to do his preaching that's not coming to stand in the square that's not dressed uh, to impress and to win people over and yet they were there because they understood that the message that he was bringing was one from God and that was one that was going to usher in the messiah's coming and he gives them this we don't know if they were there. We don't know if his disciples were there when Christ came and he was teaching and and John baptizes him. But John recalls this story and tells this story. He must have told it often enough that it was something that they knew very clearly. And he recalls it one more time. And then we have in verse 35, it says, And the next day after John stood and his two disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God, And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He calleth unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. We'll stop for a second. You are a disciple of John. you are, And we'll talk about exactly who they are in a second. You're a disciple of John, a student of the teacher. You've followed after him for a long time. I mean, it, ha- it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been just a few days or a few weeks. But your teacher has been proclaiming and declaring and warning and echoing and, and shouting from the housetops and the rooftops and the mountaintops or whatever it was about Christ's coming and then you're standing with him on the side of the road one day and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples hear this and they follow Jesus. It's not like a, okay, John, you know, Master, is it it okay? Can, Can we go? No. John makes a declaration and immediately these two men These two faithful men go and follow Christ. And it it wasn't as if that Christ was walking along the road saying, uh, certainly another time he said, I'll make you fishers of men, come follow me. That wasn't this time. This time he is walking along and their teacher tells them that that's the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And they turn on their heel to follow. The teaching that he had given them, the trust that they had in his teaching the impact of his teaching and his relationship on their life was such that at the moment when all of that teaching came to realization they could change that fast they could act that fast and it's it's not like they made some big statement it's not like they went and chased after with palm branches hosanna and had another one of those moments no it just says that they followed him to the effect that Jesus had to turn around and said who who are you seeking and they call him Rabbi, the Christ. And he says, well, they, they want to know where he's dwelling. And they follow along with him. He says, come after me. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter, Peter's brother. Just anecdotally, and I don't know this for sure, and I can't remember if if we've discussed this in the past, but the thought is that just based on the level of detail that is given here, that the other one would have been um, the Apostle John. That that the writer of John is the other of the two disciples here that, that come to follow Christ. But we read about Andrew. One of the two which heard him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Master, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him, that being Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, "Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is, by interpretation, a stone." Now we, we know the, the story in Matthew, where it talks about the fishermen um, fishing, and Jesus telling them to cast their nets on the other side, and saying, "Today I'll make you fishers of men." I don't know where that falls in the story. I don't know if it's right before this or right after this, but it's in the same timeline. But just speaking to the relationship piece of this, what strikes me is this relationship between Andrew and I'm just going to call him Peter. There's two brothers. One has been a follower of John. Doesn't say that Simon was a follower of John, but clearly the, the relationship was such that they had had conversations about this. Simon was one that had been looking for the Christ had certainly been interested, had something that he was following after, because at the moment that Andrew comes and says, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, as soon as he says that, his brother follows him. There's a relationship there that is strong enough, such that with that one proclamation, he has his brother come. And And not just one to to be interested and and you know curious as to what's going on, because when Jesus sees him, he says, "Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas." We don't know what the introductions were before. We don't know if the fishing story happened just before, but when Jesus sees Peter coming, he says, "You know, I'm changing your name. You're going to be called the Stone." And we know that on this stone, I will build my church. That that whole part of the story is coming. But I, I just marvel at this relationship. My brothers and I, I, f- we, I feel like we have a good relationship. I've, it's interesting to me how the relationships changed over the years. Um, you know, we, Jared and I used to work together at Brinson. And I don't think we look at all alike. But people would automatically say, you guys are brothers because... Only brothers could talk to each other that way while they're working together. Um, immediately they knew that we were brothers. Tim is a lot younger than me, and so we didn't ever have that real experience working together. Um, but even now we have mutual friends. folks that he works with are, are friends of ours. and the comment has come up, well, clearly you guys are brothers. Again, I don't in a million years, I don't think we'd do anything similarly. But there's that connection, That brothers have. There's that connection, that that familial connection that you know what? You know, there may be things that I do that annoy him to death. I know there are. But if Jeremy said, I found the Messiah, not, not even just the Messiah. If Jeremy said, I found a really good tool, you need to try this tool. I'm trying that tool immediately. If it probably happens more with Tim in this effect, there's a restaurant. You have got to try this restaurant. I'm going. The, the, the relationship stretches too, right? Like, it, it doesn't have to be blood relatives. It, it certainly doesn't have to be. The, with Josh and Renee, if, we, if I say there is a sushi roll, if they say there is a sushi roll you have to try at this restaurant, I'm in, like today. If they say there's this place, we, there's a trip we'd like to take, trust us you'll enjoy it i 100% will trust but it's because there's a relationship there there's there's, there's an understanding there of who i am who they are um, there is a there's a love there that has developed over time that the trust can be fostered and developed and so when this brother says to his other brother he doesn't even have to say you know what i'm sorry that we were butting heads the other day But I found him. You need to come. There's no question. There's no question of the the action that's taken and the trust that follows. The following day, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and finds Philip and says unto him, Follow me. Now, this is one that there's no more description there. Jesus walks into town. Well, there's a little more description. Excuse me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. So Andrew and Peter live in this town. There's this other guy named Philip. Jesus comes into Andrew and Peter's town and sees Philip and says, follow me. And immediately we know Philip follows because right after this, Philip starts being a disciple and starts being an evangelist, effectively. We don't know what the relationship was, but I I, I want to propose that because of Andrew's heart for the Lord, because of Andrew's discipleship, or being a disciple, or following of John the Baptist, and the clear descriptions and, and declarations that he had made to Peter, I'm sure he had made it to other folks in town, and Philip, likely being one of them, was prepared when Jesus came, because of the witness of Andrew, Jesus said, follow me, and, Andrew's, and, and Philip said, sure, of course doesn't say he declared him the Messiah at that point, but the very next thing he did is it says, Philip findeth Nath- Nathaniel and says unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Maybe the conversation between Jesus and Philip was a lot longer. I don't know. But from what we read, it was preparation of his heart by God and by the witness of his disciples' friends or the discipling friends That follow me yielded. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now here's my favorite part of this passage. I'm sarcastic. Okay, and now I'm raising children one of well, two of three now, one of three is very sarcastic. So in our house we have to be careful because sarcasm comes really, really thick. But Philip is so excited, and he comes home. Or comes home, wherever. He comes to Nathaniel. You are not going to believe who we found. The Messiah, the one that was written of the prophets and Moses and the law. Everything lines up. Here's the guy, the son of God, uh, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. And the comment that Nathaniel makes, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? And, and that's where I, sarcastic comment. Maybe Nathaniel was just trying to be flippant and funny. That happens in our house a lot lately. But rather than being discouraged, rather than being offended, which would probably have been a reasonable response from Philip's perspective, Philip doesn't even acknowledge that part of the comment. He just says, come and see. Just come and see. Nathan- and Jesus saw Nathaniel, Coming to him and saith to him, Behold an Israelite in whom indeed in whom is no guile. That's the moment when Nathaniel felt like six inches tall. Because he had just made this backhanded comment about what kind of good thing can come out of Israel or out of Nazareth. And the first thing that Jesus says to Nathaniel is that you are an Israel indeed. Or the, the description would be, or better way to say it would be, um, a a true and faithful Jew, a true and faithful Israelite. And not just that, but in whom is no deceit, in whom is no cunning craftiness or um, sarcasm. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How how do you know me? How, How could you even say this? And Jesus said unto him, Behold, that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Excuse me, before Philip called thee, When thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. What does that mean? What that says to me, and I'm, I'm interpreting here, was that Nathaniel might have been a bit sarcastic. He might have been a little flippant. But Nathaniel was one that was seeking after the Lord. Didn't know didn't know what God had in store for him, didn't quite understand how this this guy that he had heard of, that Andrew had been yelling about and, and saying that he's declaring the way of the Lord, not sure exactly how that falls into things. But as we read so many other places, when we're studying after the Lord, going into a quiet place would sit under the fig tree and contemplate what God's will for him was. And the reason I think we can say that is because Nathaniel's response is, "Rabbi, thou art the Son of God; thou art the King of Israel." Just by Christ saying to him, "I saw you there. I know the consideration of your heart. I know the, not the consider the thoughtfulness of your heart and the pursuit of truth that has been a, a fixture of your life. I saw you there." He could then acknowledge that God was the Son of God; that Christ was the Son of God. And the king of Israel, verse fifty. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. Believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. A beautiful bookend to to how we heard John describing that exact same thing happening when. Uh, he, he baptized Christ in, in verse 33, we can see there. I know it's a quick landing of the plane. What I was just so struck by was, were these relationships. These associations and relationships. We have these disciples that probably never expected when they first, follow, first began following John that there would be such a drastic change, or drastic turn in their spiritual life. And in their following of a new rabbi, probably didn't envision what the what the final um, experience would look like. And yet, because of the teachings that John had given them, because of the way the Spirit had worked in their lives as they were te- as they were students of John, when the acknowledgement of Christ came to them, when they had to confront themselves with a relationship with Christ, they were immediately able to embrace Him as the Master and the Messiah. And the same way, based on these relationships, not that the relationships created the saving faith, but the relationships that these brothers had, that these friends had, were the things that were the the, the building blocks, the foundation. The relationship that one had with Christ was something that they could show to their neighbor, show to their brother, show to their sister. As you know what, this, this is the blessing that it's been in my life. And when Christ shows himself to you, you will be able to experience him and embrace him and accept him completely as I have. And so the question that that I, I was left with was this level of association, right? I mean, we have in our in our lives, we're all some of us are part of associations, professional associations or, or business associations. And there are mission statements to each of those things. And what I was struck by was thinking, my association as a child of God, it's it's not an association. It's a relationship. My relationship with Almighty God needs to be that same identifier to the world. Not the same. Needs to be the incredibly more powerful and impactful identifier to the rest of the world than those things that I would put on my, my voting sheet or my political talking points. And I need to take the opportunity to take the opportunity that the Lord has placed in my life through relationships to have that level of influence on others that we can see that these disciples did, that we can see that these neighbors did, that these friends did. Is it going to be exactly this is it going to be exactly the same? No. Are we going to have the same relationship with everybody? No, we have. There are some that we're closer with, and some that we're not. And so, rather than being discouraged at times when I don't feel like there, the the influence is there. When I be, rather than being discouraged at those times where I feel limited or I feel um, frustrated with not being able to make progress on on one particular relationship, like why why can't I? Why can't the Lord break through that particular wall in that particular person's life? It's not my, it's not my place to question that. What, what I'm called to and what I was really encouraged by in, this, in these passages was continuing to maintain relationships, to foster relationships, to make impact in the lives of those that the Lord has allowed me to associate with knowing that he has placed them there. He has placed each one of us in each other's lives and in our neighbors' lives, in our coworkers' lives, in our classmates' lives, for his benefit and his blessing and for his use in the kingdom. It's not just coincidental that we live where we live. It's not just coincidental that relationships that were close, that quieted or cooled over the years, become warmed again years later. God does that in our lives so that one, we can experience his presence and to be used by him, but because there's a time and a season that that relationship is needed for one of us or both of us or whatever's needful for him. I keep thinking of my my classmate that was my best friend in high school that we were very close in high school and graduated and didn't talk for 15 years. And then all of a sudden, there was tragedy in his life and the Lord brought us back together. Though miles separate and it's tough to talk or tough to visit, but it, it, for everything there's a time and there's a season. And when I look at this relationship that these brothers sought after and followed after, after their rabbi until the appointed time, when the Son of God was placed in front of them, and immediately they could embrace him. And so I pray that as we would look at our lives and we would look at the, the opportunities that we have to influence those around us, that we would see, it, see our walk that way, that it's not our job to, um, it's not our job to, to check marks on, on who we've won for the kingdom. But it is our job to point each and every one of them, toward the kingdom and pray that we could do that do that more every day